My name is Erin Lasley. I've traveled many different roads in my life. I've been a law enforcement officer and first responder in the United States Coast Guard. I've worked in a couple of psychiatric hospitals, but now I'm a professional historian and podcaster. I've also had an interest in true crime for most of my life. In this podcast, I study some of the most notorious crimes through the lens of a historian and analyze what may have inspired criminals, investigators, and even society during the commission of those crimes and investigations. Join me as we look into the history behind the crime. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of the history behind the crime. A lot is going on in the world right now. And with my job, I've been glued to the news 24-7. It can really take a lot out of you and make it seem that the world is just going to shit. What's going on in the U.S. House of Representatives and in Israel and in the Ukraine can really turn neighbor against neighbor and family members against each other. I ask that you all remember that we have more in common with each other than we have different. We all share experiences and many of the same dreams and hopes. We all want what is best for our families and to live a life that is rich and happy. Politics and world events can turn us against each other, so it is incredibly important to rely on the things that bring us together. Stay away from conspiracy theories. Y'all, JFK is not coming back from the dead. Use your common sense and don't let your anger ruin relationships with friends and loved ones. Trust me when I tell you that your relationships will bring you more comfort and light than your political beliefs and the need to be right ever will. What do Ted Bundy, Osama Bin Laden, and James Earl Ray have in common? That's right. They're all criminals and dead ones too, but they also have something else in common. All three were once on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Most of us in the United States are familiar with the FBI's 10 most wanted, but for my global listeners, the FBI maintains a list of the 10 most dangerous criminals wanted by the United States government. Sometimes even fugitives wanted by state governments find themselves on the FBI's top 10 as well. As a kid fascinated by crime, I always thought the FBI top 10 was the ultimate naughty list. Like you had to do something super bad to be on that list. Before the internet, the list was hung up at post offices and I'm pretty sure that's when I first became aware of it. I just remember thinking that those men and women must be really dangerous. And for the most part, they all were or still are. Criminals only make the list when they pose a severe menace to society. These guys won't stop until they are caught or dead. They are the worst of the worst. Killers, terrorists, bank robbers, 
drug kingpins, and even child rapists. If you find yourself on that list, you effed up in an extreme way. And make no mistake, everyone is out to catch you. And most of the people who made that list have been caught or killed. The FBI didn't always have the top 10 list. Before the top 10 most wanted, there was public enemy number one. And it wasn't a list started by the FBI, but a phrase used by Frank J. Loesch, who founded the Chicago Crime Commission in 1919. Loesch spent most of his career battling crime and mobsters who began to take over the Chicago scene around that time. He hated that the public had a fascination with mobsters and crime. Not the kind of fascination that you and I have. We deplore crime and criminals. In the early days of the 20th century, the public thought mobsters were romantic figures and actually rooted for these thugs. During Prohibition and then the Great Depression, many people painted these bank robbers and rum runners into heroes because they kind of were, at least for the little guy and for those people who profited from the crimes. I mean, the U.S. took our booze and they sure as shit ain't helping us find a job, right? During the Hoover administration, at least. It was kind of a... Robin Hood mentality going on at the time. But Loesch and others saw these romantic figures for what they were. Violent, dangerous criminals. In 1930, during Al Capone's criminal reign, Loesch decided he was going to do something about the violence that had taken over the city. Loesch told the director of the Crime Commission to bring him a list of the most dangerous hoodlums and murderers in the Chicago area. From the list, Loesch chose 28 of the most dangerous men and put Capone and Capone's brother on the top of the list. He called them public enemies. He sent the list to the Chicago police chief, the Cook County Sheriff, and made the list public. He told the public that these men were a dangerous menace to society. They weren't heroes, but they were killers. For those criminals who were trying to keep a low profile, it kind of put a target on their backs. For Capone, it brought bad publicity and started to turn the public against him. Capone was indicted on tax evasion charges in 1931 and spent the next eight years in prison. J. Edgar Hoover, not one to pass up a good idea, had the FBI create its own public enemy list because gangsters were running amok in America's Midwest. By the way, during this time, the FBI wasn't the FBI, but simply the Bureau of Investigation. For the purposes of this podcast, we'll just call them the FBI to avoid any confusion. In the 1930s, the Great Depression made life tough for people. People lost their farms and homes. They couldn't find jobs, couldn't get enough to eat, and the Dust Bowl just plain sucked. It sucked so much that some people chose a life of crime 
and many of them operated in the Midwest. Among these criminals were Babyface Nelson, Ma Barker and her family of thugs, Pretty Boy Floyd, Machine Gun Kelly, John Dillinger, and members of my own family. Yeah, I shit you not. My mom's grandfather robbed a grocery store in Arkansas, but it was my maternal grandmother who decided to marry Bonnie Parker's cousin. Yeah, Bonnie and Clyde, who also made public enemy number one list. Interestingly enough, my grandmother's husband also liked to rob banks, just like his notorious cousin did. These gangsters hit banks from Texas to Chicago, East Coast to West Coast, and left a trail of bodies in their wake, and local authorities and the FBI were just trying to catch up. It seemed like everywhere these gangsters hit, there were plenty of people willing to hide them. Using Losha's logic, the FBI made these gangsters public enemies and began to turn public opinion against them. These weren't heroes. They were murderers. Soon, public opinion did shift, and many of these gangsters were either apprehended or gunned down. George Kelly Barnes, a.k.a. Machine Gun Kelly, was apprehended in 1933 for kidnapping, bank robbery, and bootlegging, and was sent to Alcatraz and then Leavenworth, where he died of a heart attack in 1954. Ma Barker and her son Fred were killed by FBI agents in Florida in 1935 after the pair started shooting at the arresting officers. After Charles Arthur Floyd, a.k.a. Pretty Boy Floyd, made public enemy number one in July 1934, the authorities hunted him unmercifully. A few months later in Ohio, the FBI gunned down Pretty Boy in a cornfield in Ohio. In 1934, Bonnie and Clyde met their gruesome fate at the side of a road in Louisiana, where Texas officers and local authorities waited for them. Officers fired 130 rounds into the car, killing both Bonnie and Clyde. If you want a really good movie to watch about that, I want to re recommend The Highwaymen. It's on Netflix, and it was made, I think, back in 2019. But I only recommend that because I love me some Kevin Costner. Finally, the original public enemy number one, John Dillinger was gunned down in an alley outside a Chicago theater in 1934 by the FBI. As Dillinger laid bleeding on the street, women dipped their handkerchiefs into his blood as souvenirs. After the deaths of America's most notorious gangsters, things just kind of calmed down in the United States. Just kind of. The U.S. was too busy rebuilding itself and then too busy with World War II to really glamorize crime that much. But that changed in 1949 with one conversation. One day, our dear friend Jay Edgar sat down with the editor-in-chief of the International News Service, William Kinsley Hutchinson. Hutchinson asked Hoover, who were the toughest guys wanted by the FBI? 
Who were the most elusive the FBI wanted to catch? The list was so impressive that Hutchinson published an article about it. Hoover, being so impressed by the attention it garnered, brought back public enemy number one, but renamed it the FBI's 10 Most Wanted in 1950. The first person to make the list was Thomas James Holden. Holden was a throwback to the era of gangsters, and Holden and his partner, Francis Keating, liked to rob payroll deliveries, trains, and trucks back in the 1920s. Holden and Keating were caught and convicted in 1928 and sentenced to 25 years at Leavenworth, but escaped in 1930 with help from none other than Machine Gun Kelly. After they escaped, Holden and Keating hooked up with several notorious criminals, including Ma Barker's gang, and robbed banks throughout the Midwest, stealing millions of dollars, which was a shitload of money back in the 1930s. In 1932, federal authorities finally caught up with Holden and Keating and sent them back to Leavenworth. Holden was paroled in 1947 and set up house in Chicago with his wife and her family. But all was not sunshine and roses. During a heated argument in 1949, Holden killed his wife and two of her brothers and then went on the run. After the FBI put him on the top 10, his face was everywhere. And it wasn't long before an acquaintance of Holden saw the man's face in an Oregon newspaper in 1951 and probably said something along the lines of, Holy shit, I know that guy. Holden was then arrested a few months later in Oregon and extradited back to Chicago, where he confessed to murder and was sentenced to life in prison. He never got the opportunity to escape because he died two years later. Ever since then, the FBI has placed the worst of the worst on the list. People are added to the list, typically remain on it until they die are captured, or are no longer wanted on criminal charges. The FBI does reserve the right to remove someone from the list that they deem is no longer a threat to society, regardless of apprehension or status of criminal charges. According to the FBI, 488 of the 523 criminals on the top 10 have been apprehended. 162 of those were captured thanks to leads from citizens who saw their names and faces on the list. That's one third apprehended because of the public. One suspected murderer, Billy Austin Bryant, was arrested only two hours after his addition to the list in 1969. He spent the least amount of time on the list. Victor Manuel Guarena spent the most time on the list. On September 12, 1983, Garina dropped his girlfriend off at a Connecticut courthouse to get a marriage license for the couple. Aww. And then he went to work where he was a Wells Fargo armed truck driver. So far, it sounded like a pretty normal day, right? You know, dude's about to get married. However, at some point during the day, Garina disarmed and tied up the two men he had been driving with. 
injected both men with aspirin and water because he thought it would make them lethargic. It doesn't, so don't even try it, okay? Garina proceeded to unload $7 million into a car and then drive away. It was the largest cash robbery of its time in the U.S. Garina fled to Cuba where, where I guess the Connecticut marriage license wasn't going to do any good. When authorities couldn't capture Garina, they put him on the top 10 list in May 1984. Even with a $1 million reward, the FBI still, still couldn't apprehend Garina and took him off the list in December 2016. Because if he was hiding out in Cuba, he really wasn't a threat to the U.S. public. Ruth Eisman Shire was the first woman to make the list. Eisman Shire and her boyfriend, Gary Stephen Christ, orchestrated the kidnapping of heiress Barbara Jane Mackle in 1968. The two criminals abducted Mackle from her hotel room and took her to a remote area where they buried her in a ventilated box for more than three days. Oh. Luckily, Mackle was rescued in relatively good condition. Christ was apprehended just two days later. It would take the better part of three months for Eisman Shire to be caught. But after it finally happened, she spent four years in prison and was deported to her home country of Honduras. There have only been 11 women on the list, including our old gal pal, Patty Hearst. The oldest person to make the list was 80-year-old Eugene K. Palmer. On September 24, 2012, Palmer waited in the woods in Stony Point, New York, as his daughter-in-law, Tammy, walked her children to the bus stop. Palmer was mad because Tammy threatened to divorce his son and sue for property that belonged to Palmer. Instead, Palmer ambushed Tammy and murdered her with a shotgun. Palmer fled the scene and the FBI put him on the list in May 2019, but took him off in July 2022 because they believed he was too old to be a danger to the public. He remains a wanted fugitive. Some of America's most notorious criminals have made the FBI's top 10. In 1993, terrorists bombed the World Trade Center in New York by blowing up a truck bomb in the parking garage. Though the bomb didn't cause the damage the terrorists hoped for, it did kill six people and injured over a thousand more. Ramsey Youssef, sent a letter to the New York Times claiming responsibility for the bombing, and he immediately landed on the FBI's top 10. During his period at large, Yosef masterminded what is now known as the Boji Ka plot, which included a plan to assassinate Pope John Paul II and attack 11 planes en route to the United States. Although detailed, the plan failed, and Yosef 
was later arrested in Pakistan in 1995 after one of his former associates ratted him out. He was extradited to the U.S., tried for his crimes, and sentenced to two life terms plus 240 years without parole. He now calls the ADX Supermax in Florence, Colorado, home. Of course, the most infamous terrorist to make the list was Osama bin Laden. Bin Laden made the list in 1999 after the terrorist bombing on U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania. By the way, I just watched an episode of FBI True about the Kenya and Tanzania bombings. You got to check it out. After the 9-11 attacks, Bin Laden became the most wanted man in the world, with the FBI placing a $25 million bounty on his head. Bin Laden managed to evade capture for more than a decade, but met his end in May 2011 when he was shot and killed by U.S. Navy SEALs in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Hoorah! Throughout the decades, multiple mobsters have made the list, but probably the most famous or infamous was James Whitey Bulger. Bulger was the leader of the Winter Hill Gang in the Winter Hill neighborhood of Somerville, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. He had his hands in pretty much everything, including racketeering, money laundering, extortion, and even murder. He was also an FBI informant and kind of brilliant at it. He would rat out the other criminal gangs so he would profit off of their loss. Okay. When the shit was about to hit the fan, he fled Boston and remained in hiding for 16 years. He, like Bin Laden, also made the list in 1999, and he was the second most wanted man behind Bin Laden. The bounty on his head was only a measly two million. During his time on the lam, Bulger was featured on the TV show America's Most Wanted 16 times. The first time in 1995 and the last time on October 2nd, 2010. It was that last airing that netted some results. Authorities received a tip from a woman in Iceland, of all places, that Bulger was living in an apartment near a beach in Santa Monica. The woman had once lived in Bulger's neighborhood and then moved to Iceland. He was arrested the very next day. After he was apprehended in 2011, Bulger was convicted of so many things and sentenced to two life terms plus five years. In 2018, multiple inmates beat to death the 89-year-old mobster while he was still sitting in his wheelchair. I guess you gotta reap what you sow. The next criminal made the FBI's most wanted list twice. James Earl Ray was already a convicted armed robber and fraudster and a prison escapee when he assassinated Martin Luther King Jr. in Memphis, Tennessee in 1968. Ray fled to Canada 
and then to the UK, where he planned to catch a plane to Rhodesia. Today, we know it as Zimbabwe, where the minority white population controlled the government. After it was determined Ray was a suspect in King's assassination, the FBI slapped him on the top 10 list. Ray was apprehended in London and shipped back to the U.S. to face charges of murder. In March 1969, he was sentenced to 99 years. But his story doesn't end there. On June 10th, 1977, Ray and six other convicts managed to escape from a penitentiary in Tennessee. The FBI, once again, put Ray on the top 10 list and he was recaptured on June 13th. He was given another year in prison for the escape, rounding up his sentence to a full century. He died in prison in 1998 at the age of 70. Speaking of escapees and making the list twice, Ted Bundy also made the FBI's top 10 most wanted list twice in his life after escaping jail. In August 1975, Bundy was arrested in Utah and later brought up on kidnapping charges. No one yet knew the real monster Bundy was. After his conviction in June 1976, he got 15 years, he was transferred to Aspen, Colorado to face murder charges. During the trial, Bundy acted as his own attorney and thereby was allowed to use the courthouse law library without handcuffs or restraints. When a guard wasn't looking, Bundy jumped out of the library's second story window and made a break for it. He was immediately put on the FBI's top 10, but then was removed when he was captured six days later. You would think after this, his jailers would have kept a closer eye on him. But a few months later, Bundy shimmied through a crawl space above the jail and escaped again. He had a 17 hour, 17 hours. Okay. He had a 17 hour head start before guards even noticed he was missing. The FBI again put him on the list, but it didn't stop him from killing two women and one girl in Florida. He was captured in February 1978, tried and convicted of the three senseless murders. The state fried his ass in 1989. Finally, let's talk about Warren Jeffs. Did Jeffs ever kill anyone? No but his crimes were just as heinous. Jeffs was, and technically still is, the leader of the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Utah. For those of you not familiar with the FLDS Church, it's an offshoot of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and whose members practice polygamy. The FLDS, not the LDS. When Jeffs took over leadership of the church from his father in 2002, he transformed the FLDS into a cult. He married some of his father's own wives, 
made doomsday prophecies, took wives and children away from men and placed them with other men, expelled men and teen boys from the group, and forced young girls to marry older men. Not only was Jeff's a cult leader, but he was a pedophile as well. Several people came forward and accused Jeff's of abusing them when they were children. And Jeff's even took underage girls as young as 12 as wives. In June 2005, Jeff's was charged in Mojave County, Arizona with sexual assault on a minor and with conspiracy to commit sexual misconduct with a minor for allegedly arranging in 2001 a marriage between a then 14-year-old girl and her 19-year-old first cousin. Jeff's went into hiding. In July, Arizona State offered a $10,000 reward for information leading to Jeff's arrest and conviction. And in April 2006, Utah issued an arrest warrant for Jeff's on felony charges of accomplice rape of a teenage girl. A few days later, the FBI put Jeff's on the most wanted list and offered a $100,000 reward. Despite this, Jeff still continued to perform child bride marriages and his congregation funded his evasion from justice. Jeff's was apprehended in August 2006 in Nevada after a highway trooper pulled his car over. In Utah, Jeff's was convicted of being an accomplice to rape and sentenced to 10 years to life. Arizona dropped the charges against him, but Texas wanted a piece of him too and in 2011 was convicted of sexual assault against a child and sentenced to life. He still leads his flock from behind bars, if you can believe that. If you want to know more about Jeff's, you can watch Keep Sweet on Netflix. Just be prepared because it will really turn your stomach. Just the other morning, I was in the post office and I was shipping a package to my sister. As I stood in line, I looked around and I was trying to spot the FBI's 10 Most Wanted poster, but there was nothing there. So I asked the postal woman about it and she pulled out a binder with the list. Apparently, the United States Postal Service stopped posting the list about 15 years ago because it can be easily accessed online. And now only a few post offices keep the list in a binder behind the counter. I was rather disappointed, but I had a rather nice conversation with the postal worker who also had a fascination with crime and promised to listen to the episode. Hey, Grace. This week, I want to tell you about the murder of six-year-old Rosie Tapia. Between the hours of 2 a.m. and 5.45 a.m. on August 13, 1995, six-year-old Rosie was abducted from her home in Salt Lake City, Utah. Her body was found later that morning, floating in a surplus canal near her family's Heartland Apartments at 1616 Snow Queen Place. 
Rosie had been sexually assaulted before she was killed. The screen missing from the window of the bedroom that Rosie and her sister shared was a clear sign of a kidnapping, but many questions remain. One witness claimed to see a young man in wet clothing leaving the canal that morning. A man walking his dog in the area came across Rosie's body and reported it less than five hours after she was reported missing. The case has puzzled police since the beginning, resulting in no arrests or charges filed. Private investigators do believe that either a small group of friends, a gang, or even residents of the apartment complex at the time may have information vital in solving the case. Rosie's mother is still waiting for answers to what happened to her daughter. There is a $100,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of Rosie's killer. If you have any information about Rosie's murder or know someone who does, I beg you to come forward. You may not think the information you have is important, but it could break this case and lead to justice for Rosie. If you have any information, you can contact the Salt Lake City Police Department at 801-799-4636. If you feel uncomfortable going directly to the authorities, you can contact me at thehistorybehindthecrime at gmail.com or Instagram at thehistorybehindthecrime. Someone out there knows something. You may not, but you may know people in Utah who do. Share Rosie's story with them. Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and I hope you are all going to spend this time with family or with those you love the most. My Thanksgiving will be quiet this year, just me and the pups, cue sad violin music, but I still love cooking a big meal, even if it's only for myself, which I will also share with the dogs. This year I have Cornish game hens, roasted Brussels sprouts, wild rice, and mashed potatoes. No matter who you spend your holiday with, I hope you all have a special, stress-free Thanksgiving and make lots of great memories. Watch the parade, watch some football, watch the dog show, and eat lots of great food. And yes, there is always room for dessert. If you find some downtime, shoot me an email or a message. I would love to hear from you all. Let me know what you're doing for the holidays this year or send me tips of how to survive the holidays. I would love to hear your personal true crime stories or give me ideas on some new true crime or history reads. With all that being said, y'all, I want you to do me a great big favor over this holiday season. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Later, Gators. <laughs>